In John 17, 3, don't turn there, or however you get there. Um, I still prefer Bibles. I don't know. I understand media, but it, if I write on my screen, it doesn't, you know. But um, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And he wasn't just saying, this is how you'll go to heaven and have an eternal life, although that's true. He was talking about um, what happens when you know the Lord. You take on uh, a new quality of life. Things have the uh, possibility of changing. You can become something other than what, what you are. And um, I've been saved a long time, and I continue to be really just enthralled with who the Lord is. Um, and that's really what I like to talk about. I like to talk about God, and I like to talk about how to get encouraged and stay that way. Sort of my two primary topics. And, um, and I, I like the mystical aspects of Christianity. How many of you like the mysterious and the mystical and how it is Jesus can live in you and you don't even have a clue how that works and how it is God hears everybody's prayers and cares about each person as though they're the only person. And I like all that. You like all that? Yeah, that's cool stuff. It's great. I read recently... Um, you're not really a Christian mystic unless you're terminally positive. I think to be a true believer at its essence is to be a positive person. Lord, there were people here earlier. I could have sworn. <laughs> I, um, I think in a, a lot of people that take the Lord seriously get real serious and it doesn't work for them. How many of you are aware of that? Everybody okay? Yeah, you got to sort of... Being a Christian is an art form. It's, it's not brain surgery. It's not a science. People try to make it a science. Theologians try to make it a formula. But um, the only formula you can trust in Christianity is that no formulas always work. And that's not always right either. Right? Come on. So I like to talk about the nature of God. What's God really like? Um, I think people that really know the Lord, profoundly know the Lord, are happy, positive people. And I think um, I've made this comparison before between Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet, the prophet that the Lord had to say, um, you're depressed because you're wrong. Change your mind, you'll be okay. It's Jeremiah 15, short, 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 short form. I like to compare that prophet with the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. And I don't mean he's not the son of God, but Moses called him the prophet. So I'm comparing sort of apples to apples. And Jesus apparently was terminally happy. Actually, it said he had, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What that means is he was a member of the real world, 
but he had an anointing of gladness. He was anointed, it says, how many of you are into essential oils? I am too, believe it or not. The first batch I got, I rubbed all of them on and couldn't sleep for like two days. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta watch that stuff, it'll take over. But you smell weird. I was like a walking bottle of potpourri, you know. Anyway, how did I get there? I'm not sure. But the most essential oil is the oil of gladness. That's the only one you cannot absolutely do without. And Jesus had an anointing of the oil of gladness more than everybody else, his fellows, his brothers, his companions. And he was accused of being a drunkard. And I think it's because he was just so happy. Why did people like Jesus and they don't like normal Christians? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Why why could people at parties like the most truly holy person ever? Because he was not trying to be religious. He just, he was a happy guy. He was happy. He had a great personality. He was voted most likely to succeed in the sixth grade. Whatever. No, he was awesome. Jesus is amazing. The Jesus I know is amazing. He's incredible. I have been um, worthy of high-level correction and rebuke on a number of occasions over the last five decades. And yet, any time the Lord has ever spoken to me in that personal, intimate way, it's never been harsh, it's never been cruel, it's never been angry. You know why? He's not harsh, and he's not cruel, and he's not angry. And people say, well, what about in the Old Testament? I say, well, I don't know what about all that. But I do know this. Jesus is the most accurate representation of who God is. And instead of killing his enemies, he died for his enemies. Come on. You've got to resolve the nature of God there's a really only one place to do it, and this is in the person of the Lord Jesus, not in uh, Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho and 200, you know, all the killing and all that. I don't spend any time worrying about that because I know um, perfect theology. Bill Johnson calls Jesus perfect theology. That's who Jesus is. He's the exact representation of his Father in heaven. And I say he's wonderful. I say he's amazing. Is that okay? Um, I've got two minutes and five seconds worth of verses of Scripture for us all to read together. Who's up for that? Because you do not know how long two minutes is till you stand up and read something out loud for two minutes. But this, these verses are so amazing. It's what I did last week, only I added a few verses 
And it's, it's, we call it the Christmas story. But you know, the funny thing about some of the most amazing verses in the Bible is almost like you don't have permission to read them except two weeks in uh, December. Well, who says? The, the um, impregnation of Mary by the Holy Spirit and the birth of Jesus are two of the most potent, profound portions of Scripture in the entire New Testament. There is so much in them, and I just want us to do this again. So, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Next. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were scared, greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Okay. When you talk about the nature of God, you begin to recognize um, the relationship between the God of creation and the person of Jesus who was born into like a form of poverty almost. And so let's do this. That, that 
slide number five. Brian, show that again. You see, um, that's our galaxy. And if you did not know where you are, there you are. Is that up there? You are here? You are here. Now, that baby in that manger is the one, according to Colossians, that created all things. But until we understand even what all things are, it doesn't affect us like it should. That next slide is a pie, a pie-shaped um, photograph, and it's a slice of the universe to three billion light years away. And I mentioned this last week. I'm just rehearsing some of this because to me it's so important, so significant to understand the magnanimous, the, the breadth of the universe. There are more stars than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world. Our sun is one of those stars. And this picture you see here shows you stars, probably galaxies. Those aren't just stars. What looks like a star from one place is actually a galaxy somewhere else. But that galaxy from somewhere else may actually have already burned out. But it's so far away, the light's still coming. It's amazing. But that is 3 billion light years away. Light travels in 186,000 miles a second. And a light year is the difference light travels at that rate of speed in one year. And that picture is 3 billion light years. The next um, slide tells us about the number of clusters in the, or stars. Number of superclusters in the visible universe is 10 million. The number of galaxy groups in the visible universe is 25 billion. The number of large galaxies in the visible universe, 350 billion. I don't even know what a dwarf galaxy is, but I should. There are 7 trillion of them. And then the number of stars in the visible universe is 30 billion trillion. That's incredible. Well, the one who was born in the manger did all that. Now, the thing that touches me maybe the, the most, in the most profound way is that person who did all of that has done things like this. He has numbered the hairs of your head. Now, some people would say that's just a poetic way of God knows about you. No, nah, I don't think so. I think he has a running count of the hair on every person's head. To me, that's amazing. Some people are low maintenance. Uh, others a little bit higher maintenance. But um, I think every time a hair falls out, he changes his totals. Now, what does that mean? It means... The person that did all that cares that much about you, about you. And I've heard, I mentioned Bill Johnson earlier, one of the things he says is if it matters to you, it matters to God. And that, that, to me, that, that is just, um, that's just so incredible. 
I mentioned last week, too, that this um, amazing God who is so strong and so powerful, he, he spoke creation into existence according to Genesis and what scientists call the Big Bang. A friend of mine told me the, the other day that they feel like the light that exploded was about the size of a softball. In other words, it was intense, concentrated, power-packed light. And when it exploded in what's called the Big Bang, it's still forming stars and galaxies and planets and, and who knows who knows what all. But the interesting thing about this powerful, imposing, beautiful, amazing, resourceful, considerate, caring monarch who rules all of creation, when he reveals himself to people, he does it in very humbling ways. And I've wondered about that. In other words, why was, why was uh, Jesus born? You know, you would think he would come with more fanfare than the way he was born. Uh, you know, can you imagine ladies being pregnant on donkey back, going from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of a census? And you're pregnant. I mean, you could give birth like at any moment. And there you are bumping along some road on a donkey's back, and then you find out your husband didn't even get hotel reservations, and, you know, such is life. But, um, so he comes in the most humble way. And, and what is it, wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths and lying in a manger, wrapped in rags and laying in a cow feeder. That was our God. None of us would be happy with our children being born in those conditions. Nevertheless, God came that way. And it was the sign. This will be a sign unto you. And and if you you know, if you're going down the highway and you miss the sign, you don't get where you were you were going. And so you've got to understand that God is this way. That it takes a certain level of humility. You know, one of the problems with cynicism is that um, that way of life, finding fault with everything, being critical of everything, and it gives you a sense of self-importance. It gives you a sense of false sense of being a wise person. But you're not wise. You are bitter, and you need to be delivered from it because you will not see the Lord the way you could see him. You, you have just simply got to understand there's nothing wise about being the smartest person in the room who can criticize everybody who walks through the door. It's a sickness. It's a disease. And it's one of these things that can just paralyze your faith. And God, God doesn't act humble to prove a point. He comes this way because he is that way. The most powerful guy in the universe doesn't have to make a big deal out of who he is. He is a low road taker. He is a backseat sitter. 
If you don't want him, you don't have to have him. He won't bull his way into your life. He won't intimidate and threaten you to love him because that's not love. And if you can understand this one thing, the greatest value the Lord has is to be appreciated, to simply be loved, to be loved. My prayer life in the last number of years has changed. Usually it's, oh, God, I'm in trouble, help. Or it's, Lord, I would like this. Will you please get it for me? Or I've got to preach and I don't have anything to say. Will you help me come up with something worthwhile? It's request-oriented. But there's something that happens in your life when you go spend time with the Lord for no reason. Just for no reason. And if you're not able to do that, it's because you don't understand what he's really like and what he really wants to be like to you. And what I've learned is when I go to the Lord, and you don't always have to. I'm not saying, you know, one's good and one's bad. But when you go to the Lord just to love him, he will give you better stuff to say then if you go to him trying to squeeze out of him whatever answer it is you need about something. Is this making sense? Because that's what matters to him. That's what matters to him. He, an old Pentecostal character, used to say, God appreciates being appreciated. Now, I talked about Moses in the burning bush. Uh, it proves another point to what I'm saying. Let me explain this. Um, everything I say is not accurate. Is that okay? Everything I say could be said better or could be adjusted. But you, if, you know, people that do that are really boring people. And I've been accused, rightly so, of preaching people into my conclusion. But that's my job. But it, thinking people can get aggravated with that, so I don't know what to say about it. I'm just saying that's what happens. But Moses meets God at a burning bush. If you're a thinking person, you would think that makes no sense. And it wasn't even a nice bush. It was a thorn bush in the, on the back side of the desert. Backside. Backside worse than the front side, but it's desert. And so Moses, and this amazing, Moses felt for 40 years like a failure. He felt like a failure for 40 years. He went from being like the prince of Egypt to being a shepherd following sheep in a place that was pretty, pretty barren. And so all of these years, he feels like a failure. How many of you ever felt like a failure? I felt like a failure. I haven't felt like a failure for 40 years. I've had better life than old Moses there for a while maybe. But, and so God, who has this amazing purpose for Moses' life, you know, the wonderful thing is there is a burning bush day. What do I mean? 
there is a day in every person's life where things can just change. One of the greatest verses in the Bible goes this way, and it came to pass. What's killing you today won't stay. Go ahead and die and get on with it. But things come to pass, they don't come to stay. They're suddenlies. God has, God has these suddenlies. You can suddenly find yourself at that day when everything changes. And we need to remember that. We need to have faith that God knows what he's doing, that we're not just bumbling and stumbling down some pathway into oblivion, but no matter where you are in your life, God has a way if you're on the wrong path to get you on the right path, or God has a way to open that next door when you can't see any way through at all. But just because you can't see doesn't mean there's not a way. And sometimes when there's not a way, you need to say, there is a way. Because saying there is a way feels better than saying there's no way. And there's always a way. If Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, there's always a way. Always. Somebody say always. Always a way. So, The Lord appears, the angel of the Lord appears in this burning bush, and Moses looks at it, and it says, The bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the burning bush, so Moses, several things here. Moses' life changes the day he meets a burning, talking bush who claims to be the God that created everything. That is crazy. I like it, though. I like that. I don't know why I like that, but there's something to me that's so intriguing. Now, here's the important thing. When did God speak to Moses? When the, law, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him. Now, one of the greatest gifts you can have is spiritual curiosity. Moses could have seen that bush and he could have thought, that's too weird, I'll keep moving. And he could have missed. See, God has this um, thing about him where he wants people to respond. He wants you to respond. Um, people get saved because they respond to a message they hear about Jesus. You can hear the message and not respond and leave in the same condition you came in. There's something that happens when you respond to God. It's called, you have an ability to respond to God. What would you call that? A response ability. Everyone has the capacity. Everyone in here has faith. Saved, unsaved, no God, don't know God. You have a measure of faith. That's what the Bible says. What is your faith for? Your faith is to respond to God. 
What, oh, this is so good. Sometimes when everything is dark and you're confused, you need to say, Lord, this is amazing. This is so awesome. And if there's any demonic thing trying to shut you down, you will so confuse them, they'll just run off. One of the... <laughs> One of the keys to being a powerful supernatural force in the earth is to begin to declare the opposite of everything that is arrayed against you. You can't agree with your problem. You can't agree with your difficulty. You have to agree with your solution. And sometimes your solutions will come through peculiar people, odd circumstances, and things you may not want to do. But if you're humble enough and you can see them, you will begin to go from victory to victory in circumstances most people would be afraid to even be involved in. But if you're already involved in them, it doesn't matter who's afraid of them. You have to deal with who you are, where you are, and where you're headed. Uh, let me say this. If you have never been in a place where you said, I hate this. This is terrifying. How did I ever get here? And how will I ever get out of this mess? You have not yet come to a place you will come to at a given point in your life. Now, that's bad news, but it's true news. Here's the good news. God will meet you there. That's where transformation takes place. Transformation doesn't take place in church. Transformation takes place on the backside of the desert. Transformation takes place in places you would never want to go. Now, I'm not threatening some of you who are really happy right now. <laughs> I'm encouraging those of you who are not because of the mess you're in. Come on. God dwelt in a bush. It was a blackberry bush. It was a thorn bush, according to certain students of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy thirty-three sixteen. I'll quote this. Did you see that gnat? Did I not address that gnat last week? Anyway, Deuteronomy thirty-three sixteen. With the precious things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. This was part of a blessing on the life of Joseph. The blessing in favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Now, dwelt there means permanently reside. God was living in that bush. Now, you've got to go, why have I never heard about this before? You should read it. But here's the, here's the real thing. God is terminally humble. Think about where you're going to church, ladies and gentlemen. You know, there are many people who won't come in a place like this to meet the Lord. There's no steeple and there's no cross. But you're here. You, 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 listen, if you come to a place like this, the minute you walk through the door, I think the Lord said, I'll help that person that came here. I'll help them. Now, I talked about the ficus tree at Cornerstone where the Holy Ghost, we had our own little burning bush there, but I won't get into that again. 
But I love the I love the contrast between the God of creation and the God of humility. I love the contrast of the 30 with 22 zeros as the number of stars he created and the God who's interested in your hair. To me, that, that is just it's such a wonderful, a wonderful thing. Um, the condescension of God. How low he's willing to stoop to raise us up. How is it that we could ever believe God doesn't care about us? How is it that we could buy into that darkness when the God of creation humbled himself? You know, he didn't just humble himself to be born. He humbled himself to be crucified. He humbled himself not just to suffer himself through the pain of it. He humbled himself to the degree that he suffered to reconcile you to his father as far as your sins are concerned. And it's the only instrument of true reconciliation in all creation was that cross. He came to die. You see, that's the thing that strikes me about happy Jesus. He knew where he was headed, but he still had a capacity to enjoy life. He, listen, he would, he would give people nicknames. He was a fun-loving guy. He would call James and John sons of thunder. What does that mean? All flash, but no power. You know, all noise, but no juice. No power, but a bunch of yakking. And he would call the most, um, what is the word when water, it can be ice or steam or liquid? Uh, what? He, 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 uh, Peter was, uh, unstable. The most unstable apostle, here's what Jesus does. He calls him the rock. And the person that was the biggest thief, he gives the money to. He gives Judas the money back. He was a treasurer. You can't mess with Jesus. Now, some, you know, maybe just it was, you know, Jesus was saying, let me give Judas a shot at redemption here. I'm going to give him the money, see if he can overcome that. But he would, he would have these nicknames for those guys. Um, the, whole, the condescension, the condescension of God from creator to created, to me, is just so amazing. The love that he shows, how much God loves us, the value he puts on every, every life. Now, that's a lot of what I covered last week, but it's so important. I just felt like we needed to, to hear it again. One other thing I talked about was this idea of making room. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That, to me, is so amazing. Um, even, even as being a serious, and when I mean serious, I mean dedicated. I don't mean, you know, sour. 
even, even being a serious Christian, we have to understand that there are very few things that are automatic. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, you don't just meet the Lord and that, that does you for your relationship for the rest of your life. That's, that's a beginning of really what should be a remarkable adventure with uh, the living God. And um, but the reason it's not an adventure, I think, to a lot of people is they don't make room for the Lord. They don't make room for the Lord. I was talking to a, um, a fellow about a building for the church. I'm not going to get into all this, but a friend of mine was saying, I believe the Lord's going to provide a friend to help you uh, find a building. And that you, you need to give him opportunities to give to you. Now, the way I am is I would figure out how much we could spend. Uh, I, would, I would go in with a calculation to be sure we could actually get something and ask as little humanly possible of the person who owns the place. But see, that's not making room for God. You understand what I'm saying? I want to give this man an opportunity to be as generous to us if this be the place we're supposed to go, as possible. And so we need to have this idea. One, one of the reasons we should be praying is we're giving God room or opportunity to do things for us that he wants to do. I think one of the things that possibly bothers the Lord the most is not what we ask him for, but it's the infrequency of what we ask him for because his primary occupation is to create and to do and to give. And so in every situation, you need to leave room for God. If you're sick, leave room for God to heal you apart from medical science. I don't mean you don't go to the doctor, but in your heart, you need to ask people to pray for you. You, you need to see that God can do things for you and that he wants to. Now, how that all works out in, in, in real life, well, that's part of, part of the adventure. And people say to me, well, uh, does everyone you pray for get healed? And I say, no, but more people get healed that I pray for than that I ignore. And one of the key, this is, another, this is another aspect of the nature of God. For God to give you increase, it's most often based on how appreciative you are of what he has already given you. And when you're thankful over how much you have, it somehow touches God's heart to give you increase. That's part of it. And when you can begin to recognize that part of the reason God blesses you is because of the heart you have to share what you have with other people. Oh, me. 
And one of the reasons we miss blessings is because we don't get excited over other people's favor. We get jealous. Think about getting jealous because this guy got blessed and you didn't. You know what you're really saying? There's not enough to go around and he got my part. But that's, that's your viewpoint of God. And God meets you based on his, your viewpoint. He didn't, God never meets us based on who he is. He meets us based on who we know him to be. That's a very real truth. I can prove it from several of the parables in the Bible. And so if you're jealous over someone else's blessing, what you're really saying is there's not enough to go around. This guy got some of the stuff I should have. Well, wait a minute. When did God go belly up? When did heaven go bankrupt? Why is it there couldn't be a thousand people doing what that person's doing? Why, why couldn't God, why couldn't you be grateful for someone else's blessing? You will discover that's the key to yours. <clears throat> years ago, and I wish I hadn't spent it. Years ago, a man gave me a box of silver and gold coins. I mean a box. It was too heavy to carry. I had to go get a hand truck. I don't know how much it was. Back then it was probably, I'm guessing, twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 worth of gold and silver. Nickels, quarters, half dollars. Kruger or Australian gold pieces. And I told a friend of mine, I said, I didn't even know the guy. He came into church one night and he said, I have something for you. And I thought it's probably just some old screwy Christian t-shirt I don't want. That is actually what I thought. I don't know why I thought. I don't know why I thought that. But I, I thought, oh, okay. And so he says, you need to come out to the car. And I said, okay. And I got the car. And he lifts a box of gold and silver coins that I could not hardly carry. It was. And then I thought, that was one of the problems of being really wealthy years ago. Is it weighed a lot? And you had to really look after it. But anyway. A friend of mine said to me, Robin, that's amazing. I am so glad you got that gift. The guy didn't even go to our church. He was from like Tennessee. And he began to rejoice over my blessing. And a week later, this guy gives him a box, identical box of silver and gold coins. You, you need to find somebody you really would like to be like and start being really glad they're like that. Now, this is, pre, you know, this, the wrong concept is prevalent among artistic people or musicians. Musicians, oh, I guess it's just human nature. You can be jealous of what another person's able to do. You should be happy for them. You should rejoice for them. It's the key to corporate blessing. If we have a bunch of um, sourpuss, tightwad, critical people that come to church here, we're going to shrivel up like a prune. But if we have people that understand the nature of God and they begin to practice things that mean something to him, we could have the most creative explosion of business opportunities and sound 
and recording and art and people marrying cool people and awesome kids coming. Because people suddenly realized cynicism is not all it's cracked up to be. I'm preaching. We need to just get happy about life. We need to ignore the negative and focus on the positive. We really do. We really do. Well, that's not being realistic. Well, where has being realistic got you if you're coming up in here listening to me so you can improve your life? Right? Come on. Al, you like that, don't you? That's tweet worthy, but it was too long. It's more than 120 characters. <laughs> Exodus 2, 4 says, So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. You need to be curious. You need to respond to the Lord. How many of you are sensitive to the Lord's presence or the Lord's voice in your everyday life? Nobody. Okay. No, no. How many of you have some idea of what I'm talking about? One of the characteristics of a person who continues to develop their faith is when they sense the presence of the Lord or they have an idea or suddenly they think about him. When they weren't thinking about him, they stop and say, what's up, Lord? What is it? You make room. You make room. What are you saying? I heard Chris Vallotton say, uh, he was giving this testimony. He had this car repair place and the car's, number of years ago, just started coming out with computers. And he had a car for a company that he was their primary mechanic over their whole fleet, and they couldn't get the car to start. And he tried everything. He spent hours, hours, hours. And then he felt the presence of the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, you might know about how cars work. Why can't I get this car started? And the Lord said, There's a broken diode behind the bumper on the back of the car. Might have been the front of the car. And he looked in the manual. There's not even one in the whole manual. But he takes the bumper off and he sees these wires. And one of them's broken. Maybe it was two of them. He solders them back together and the car starts. And he kept that job. Because he made room. He made room. He made room for God. Okay. I want to talk about joy again, but I haven't been able to get to it. Let me leave, with this, leave you with this one story. Back in 1938, a 12-year-old boy named Roy Spencer found a huge rock on a nearby hillside. He took it home and showed his dad, shrugged it off, just another crystal rock, decided to use it as a doorstop in their home. The dad, Harry Spencer, was a pioneering miner in Queensland, Australia, did not know that indeed sapphires can also come in a unique black color. Several years later, 1947, Harry Spencer offered the 1156 carat gemstone for sale. The news spread that it was offered for sale, and Armenian born jeweler Harry Kazanjian traveled from Los Angeles to Australia to check out the gemstone and possibly make a deal. Kazanjian offered to pay $18,000, which is approximately $185,000 in today's money. For a couple of months, 
Kazanjian studied the newly acquired gemstone to figure out the best way to cut it. After he cut the gemstone, the value jumped to a whopping $1 million for the expertly cut 733-carat black star sapphire in 1949. Today, it's worth $80 million. And it was a, it was a doorstop. He, he didn't know what it was. It was just, he didn't know what he had. So, so many people don't know what they have. Can you, make, can you make the jump? The relationship you have with God, to you, it can be this maybe non-essential thing. But when you discover the value no, it's this $80 million thing. I'm praying right now. I'm going to ask John Mark to come. Before he comes, I want to pray against bitterness. I want to pray against sarcasm and cynicism. How many of you get hit with that? Sarcasm, cynicism. All right, if that's you, and listen, please respond to God. Stand up if that's you. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to stand up too. Dear Lord, that's your turn. I can be cynical and sarcastic. Some of it comes from bitterness. Some of it comes because I'm afraid to admit I got hurt. Some of it I protect myself with. But today I take down that wall. Down that wall. And I ask that you would just move in my life again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this could be one of those humble, non-powerful moments where your life changes. This little simple prayer, God heard. I'll be interested to see how everything turns around. Amen. I was just thinking as I was sitting over here, uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we talk a lot about the truth and we hope for the life, but we don't always think a whole lot about the way. And I think it's, um, I think God really does like irony, but I don't think that Jesus came the way he came just because he likes irony. I think Jesus does things because it's the better way to do things. You know, and I think we know that, but we don't always live that way. You know, I don't think that you get the love your enemies badge and all of a sudden you win the award and all of a sudden you're blessed because you like reach the love your enemies stage in the video game. I think when Jesus says love your enemies, it's because loving your enemies is a better way to live. When he says forgive, I don't think he's like challenging you. Like, all right, let's see if you're spiritual enough to forgive and then I'm going to bless you because you did it. I think forgiveness is a better way to live. I think that's why he said it. I think that's why Jesus is also the way, not just the truth and the life, is the way he does things are better than the way we do things. And the way he was born, in the beginnings of Jesus, we see the very character of God and the way he likes to do things. He didn't, the reason he didn't come as a king or a powerful um, politician or a general is because he just didn't care. 
because he as a baby was so much more powerful than any of that stuff. And his people so badly wanted someone who's going to come in with a sword and was going to kill the Romans and give them back their land. And he didn't do that. And the reason he didn't do it was not just because of his sense of irony, but because it was a better, he had a better way. He had a better way. So I want to pray that over our lives for this year, that we would receive and learn how to live the better way. Not just a different way, not just jumping around from thing to thing, not just trying really hard to be spiritual, but actually, I actually have this theory, and I could be totally wrong, but I actually think it's easy to live like Jesus. I actually think it's easy to live like Jesus. You know, I believe when Jesus forgave the people who hung him on the cross, he says, forgive them because they don't know what they do. He didn't do that because he was just so righteous. He did it because that was just the way he, that's just the better way. It just wouldn't make sense for him to curse the people because he lives in a different space. He operates under a different set of rules. And to curse the people who hung him on the cross, to not forgive them would be nearly impossible because it just wouldn't make sense for him not to forgive them. And I actually believe that it's easy to live like Jesus when we can see why he did the way he did. And we can see that his way is actually the better way. It's not just the thing to strive for. It's not just the place to try and be. It actually is the better. And in one sense, it's actually the easier way to live. I think it was easy for Jesus because it was just better. It just made more sense. And if you see a $100 bill on the ground, it just makes sense to bend down and pick it up. So why would you bend down in front of all those people? It's a $100 bill. I'm going to pick it up. I think for Jesus to humble himself was not hard. It was just the it was just the better way. It was just the better way. The way, the truth, and the life. So Lord Jesus, I ask you, would show us how we ought to live this year. Show us how we ought to live. Show us how to live like you. Show us how to live the better life. Show us the third way. Not the way that runs from our enemies, not the way that kills our enemies, but the better way, the way that's better than either two of those ways. Lord Jesus, teach us how to love our neighbor. Teach us how to love the strangers. Teach us how to love our enemies and teach us why we need to do those things and show us what it means to live the better life. In Jesus' name, amen.